to you all. Welcome. Uh, let's, let's pray together to start. <coughs> Father, we want to say thank you. Lord, thank you for your grace and your kindness and that we can come together here this morning and worship you. God, we recognize that this time, this day is a gift, and so we humbly pray that you would take this service and use it, Lord. Would you teach us and shape us and grow us to become the men and women that you desire us to be? And Lord, also, this morning we think of the uh, tragedy in Pittsburgh that took place Yesterday, Lord, and our hearts are heavy as we think of the violence and the death and the loss that happened there. Lord, we pray for your comfort and your peace to be with the families and the community, Lord, that lost loved ones that's been terrorized by violence, Lord. And we just pray for your healing hand for your peace, Lord, for your kingdom to come in our nation, Lord, and in our world. We so desperately need you. So, Lord, we give you this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, go ahead and open up. (laughs) Go ahead and open up your Bible to Mark chapter 14. That's where we're going to be together this morning. Uh, If you're new to FBC, we take a little bit of scripture each week and walk through it. So we usually pick a book of the Bible and just march on through. And so we've been in the book of Mark for some time now. We find ourselves in chapter 14. So would you join me there? If you have a Bible, great. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we're not going to have the words on the screen. And so just there should be some Bibles on the seats in front of you. Or if you brought a phone and you have the Bible app, that would be a great way to follow along as well. And actually, if you have a phone and you don't have the Bible app, it would be a great time to download it. If you go to the App Store and just search for Bible, it'll probably be the first one that pops up. It's this little brown icon. It says Bible, and it's a phenomenal app to have on your phone. So if you don't have that, now would be a good time to do that. Um, You know, sometimes we can be so familiar with something that we stop looking closely at it. We're so familiar with it that we fail to see all that is there, and we miss some of the significance of what we're looking at. For example, think of a penny, the coin, right? A penny. We've all seen pennies countless times in our lives, less so today because of credit cards and online shopping. We don't always have pennies in our hands, but in your lifetime, you've seen a penny a number of times. It's something that's familiar to you, right? But think about it. You might know whose face is on the penny, but do you know which direction he's facing on the coin? Which, which way? Don't answer now. Just think about it. No cheating. No Google searching for pennies or pulling them out of your pockets. Uh, on the front, it says, in God we trust. But also off to the one side, there's another word that's listed there on the coin. Do you know what word that is? On the back, there's actually a Latin phrase. Across the top, do you know what Latin phrase is there? There, There's a building pictured on the back of the coin. Do you know what building it is? Now, if you knew the answers to all those questions, then you've ruined my illustration. 
But I'm going to assume that, like uh, me, most of you were like, huh, I guess I don't really know for sure. Right? We've seen this coin. We're familiar with it. We, oh, it's a penny. But we don't always look closer at the details. And so there's big pieces that we actually kind of miss. Now, this week's passage in the Gospel of Mark is actually somewhat like that for many of us. The text we're going to look at is the, the famous Last Supper. It's Jesus' last meal with his disciples where he, he takes the bread and he takes the cup and he speaks of his coming death. And we remember these events uh, all the time as a church when we celebrate communion. And yet, I think there are uh, details and, and uh, depths of meaning in this passage that we sometimes fail to miss because it's just like, oh yeah, that's, that's the Last Supper. My body for you, my, my, my blood shed for you. And we, we kind of breeze past it. And so it's my hope that we'd be able to look closely at this text together with fresh eyes. And, and for some of you this morning, maybe this is all new to you, and so it's, it's easy because it will be fresh, a fresh look for you because you haven't ever really uh, jumped into it. But for a lot of us, it'll be uh, an exercise in trying to look closer at something that's familiar. So with that being said, let's take a look at the text. Uh, we're starting in verse 12 today, all right? It says this, on the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? Now, you can tell from the details as we're getting started in verse 12 that this was a, a special time of year. Uh, the events that we read about actually took place in the springtime with the festival of unleavened bread and the Passover, which at this time were actually kind of celebrated together, uh, lumped as one celebration where the people of God would come together and they would look back to the Exodus story, the events we read about in the book of Exodus with Moses and Pharaoh and let my people go and the plagues and they cross the Red Sea and the people of God are rescued from slavery in Egypt. It's this event that the people of God would come together to celebrate how God rescued them. And so pilgrims would flock to Jerusalem. Again, the population of the city would swell to nearly five times its normal size as people came to remember what God had done in their history. And for many Jews, this meal, the Passover meal that they would celebrate, was their favorite meal of the entire year. Much like for us, we come together and we look forward to the Thanksgiving meal. And the best part of that meal, the stuffing, come on, the stovetop red box stuffing <laughs> is the best part of that meal, if you were wondering. Or we look, we look forward to, maybe it's Christmas dinner for you, or Christmas Eve dinner in your family. It's some, some holiday where, where families come together and they celebrate and they eat good food. Much like that, the Passover was celebrated. And it was primarily done as a family unit where it would be a chance for the parents to remind the children of their faith, to remind their children of the events of that first Passover and who their God was. And so as they're preparing for this, in verse 12, the disciples naturally ask Jesus, hey, uh, where should we prepare the meal? And where are we going to celebrate this? Who's hosting Thanksgiving this year? Sort of thing. Verse 13. So, he sent two of his disciples, telling them, go into the city, 
and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house, he enters. The teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. And so verse 16, the disciples left. They went into the city and they found things just as Jesus had told them. And so they prepared the Passover. Interesting, right? Jesus says, hey, go up, go on ahead. You're going to see this guy, and he's carrying a water jar. Now, back then, women would typically be the ones who would carry a water jar, and so a man carrying one would uh, stand out a little bit and possibly make him easier to identify. And Jesus says, I want you to follow him. And it's not really clear if this is like, hey, he's going to talk with you, and then he's going to lead you to his house, or if you're going to have to, like, Jack Bauer, follow him sneakily and just watch him. It doesn't really clarify that, but you'll see him enter a house and talk to the owner of that house. And that owner will show you a large room upstairs, and that's where I want you to prepare the Passover meal. And so verse 16, the disciples go and they find everything just as Jesus said it would be. And they prepared the meal, which would include going to the temple, sacrificing the lamb, preparing the lamb, roasting it, preparing the room and the furniture and side dishes that would go along with the Passover meal. Now, it might be easy for us to to move quickly uh, beyond these details here and think, oh, that's kind of odd that this is all included. Not sure what to make of these events. You know, you're going to go find the room and the guy with the jar of water and follow him and make the preparations there. Uh, But it's my hope that these details would actually be encouraging for us. It actually encouraged us because we see that Jesus is in control. That Jesus knows what is ahead. He's not caught off guard by the events that are unfolding. He knows. He says, go to the city, and here's what you're going to find. You're going to find this guy with a water jar. You're going to follow him. Go to his house. There's going to be a room ready. Talk to that guy. He's going to say, hey, this is where we're going to have the room. You're going to prepare it there. And verse 16 makes it sound so simple. Again, he just the disciples went, and they found everything as Jesus told them, which is amazing if you think about it. Reminds us, all these events, yes, here, but also This last week of Jesus' life, including his coming death, these are not just happening by chance. Jesus is not just a victim of circumstance. He's not caught unaware. No, everything is unfolding exactly how it is supposed to unfold. We see the plan of God at work. It's going according to plan. And so I hope that that's encouraging for you this morning. If you're like me and often can be prone to fear, fear of the unknown, fear of what the future holds, fear of what tomorrow holds. There's so many things that are unknown for us, but we see in this text that Jesus knows. The events of tomorrow in your life or in the world are not going to catch Jesus off guard. You ever been in a situation where you're a little stressed and kind of freaking out, but you're with someone who's just like totally calm? They're like, hey, no, don't worry about it. Yeah, it was coming. And it kind of puts you at ease because you're like, I don't know what's going on, but, but they do, so I guess, I guess things will be okay. It's kind of like that. We see Jesus in control, knowing what's ahead, cool, calm, collected. We're like, all right, that can put us at ease about what our tomorrow holds. 
And so the disciples prepare this meal. In verse 17, when evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. And while they were reclining at the table eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, Surely you don't mean me. It's one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. So evening has arrived on Thursday of Holy Week, as we call it, the day before Jesus' death on the cross, a few days before his resurrection on Easter Sunday. And you see Jesus and his disciples are reclining at the table as was customary. They'd likely lean back on their left elbow so their right hand would be free to grab food from a lower table that would be set likely in a U shape, sharing this Passover meal, which was normally a time of joy. Like we've said, it's celebration, and yet there's this tension in the room as Jesus drops this bombshell in verse 18. One of you will betray me. And we just read last week in verses 10 and 11, if if you were with us, Judas, we saw Judas agreeing to betray Jesus. And so we know that Judas is the one, but the rest of the disciples don't. They don't know. Verse 19, they're sad. They're saying, surely not I, Lord. It's not going to be me, is it? And Jesus says, it'll be one of you, one of the twelve. And he says, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. Now, when I first read this passage, uh, I thought that like what was going on there was Jesus identifying who was going to betray him. Like the one who dips bread in the bowl with me. And like right as he said that, someone would be dipping bread in the bowl and be like, oh man, dang, dang it. It's me. Uh, But that's not really what's going on here. Because over the course of the meal, they all would have dipped bread into this bowl of herbs that was part of the meal. And so he's not identifying any one person, but it really could have been any of them at that point. Someone eating with Jesus. Now, today when we share a meal with people, it expresses friendship and hospitality and, and uh, a kind of intimacy there. But in the ancient world, it was much, much greater, much more significant, where fellowship around the table created a bond of, of friendship and loyalty and intimacy. And so for someone to be sharing this table fellowship with Jesus and still betray him, would have been shameful. It would have horrified a first century reader to read this line, turning on someone with whom you shared such a bond. And so Jesus is no stranger to rejection and betrayal. But verse 21, he says, woe to the man who will betray the son of man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. This is a common idiom, a lament, speaking of the judgment and the consequences that would await this person betraying Jesus. So I want to just highlight this this piece here because sometimes we picture the Last Supper, I know I do at times, as like this really tender, sweet moment, like Jesus' last meal, 
with his best friends. They're sitting around the table, just chumming it up, sharing stories, laughing together. Remember that time Peter got us lost on the way to Nazareth, and wasn't that so silly? Remember the time, you know, and they're just all having a great time. But if you look at the text, it's actually kind of a tense evening. I mean, Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me. One of the 12 and all the disciples are saddened and they're like, oh my goodness, I hope it's not me. Jesus, it's not me, is it? What's going on? There's this air of anxiety in the room. But again, Jesus is showing us he knows what's ahead. He knows the betrayal is coming. And so he continues in verse 22, probably the most familiar part of the passage for many of us. It says, while they were eating this meal, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. And then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. And so again, in order to understand the meaning of Jesus' words here, we have to understand a bit of the context, the backdrop for his comments, right? This is uh, the meal of Passover. Him and his disciples are celebrating Passover together, which was this time every year where Jews looked back to how God rescued them, delivered them, saved them out of slavery in Egypt. In fact, if we look back to those events in Exodus chapter 12, you don't have to turn there now, but these are the words of the first Passover. I just want you to hear them from Exodus chapter 12, verse 7. It says, Then they, after slaughtering the lamb, then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Again, those elements likely were included at Jesus' Last Supper with his disciples. And then verse 12, On that same night I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. Okay, and so it says this meal, these events are to be remembered are to be celebrated for generations to come. How God rescued his people while judgment fell on the Egyptians. The blood of a lamb on the doorposts of the homes of the Jews protected them, and God would pass over them, it says. And so the elements of the meal, whether it be the lamb or the, the bread, the blood would point them back to that first Passover. But so notice then what Jesus is doing. He's doing something new. He's taking those ancient symbols 
those elements of the meal, reminding them of what God had done, this celebration that was ordained by God. Remember what has happened here for generations to come. He's taking all that and he's infusing it with new meaning. I mean, he's essentially adding to it, kind of, kind of changing the emphasis of that sacred meal. Verse 22, while they were eating, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take it, this is my body. So as was customary, he would say a blessing over the bread, and he would, would break it and give it to his disciples, saying, this is my body, indicating that what happened to the bread will happen to him. It'll be broken. His body will be beaten and pierced. And now the bread of the Passover meal no longer points back to the first Passover, right? Unleavened bread because the people weren't able to even have time to add yeast to their bread because they had to leave Egypt so hastily. He's saying, no, no longer will the bread of the Passover meal point back to that first Passover. Now it points forward to my death on the cross. Verse 23, then he, he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood, <clears throat> excuse me, of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. So he takes the cup after supper. He gives thanks. They all drink of it, and he says, this is my blood poured out for many. And so now, at the time of Passover, when they think of blood, it's no longer pointing back to the first Passover, and the blood on the doorpost of the home. But now that element is to remind them of Jesus' blood shed on the cross, poured out for his people. And there he mentions it's the blood of the covenant. The covenant was an agreement, a, a thing that outlined the expectations of a relationship between two parties. It was sacred, and a covenant was ratified by the blood of an animal. And so Jesus is saying that, that this new covenant is ratified by, by his blood. His sacrifice sets the terms for this new relationship that we get to enjoy with God, not based on the law and the sacrifices of animals, but based on the work of Jesus Christ and our simple response in faith to him. And so this new covenant, this new way we get to relate with God is not based on what you have to go and do to earn it, but what God has done for you. But, but think about, again, in this room, what this would mean to those disciples. Again, it's easy for us to brush past it now, but I mean, who does Jesus think he is? Who does he think he is? I mean, imagine if you're, imagine you're going to like a 4th of July celebration, okay? You go to the 3rd of July parade down here in Benicia, having a great time, fireworks, you're wearing red, white, and blue, and you're feeling all patriotic, eating hot dogs and good food and all the like, and someone came up to you and said, hey, this, this celebration, this whole 4th of July thing, the fireworks, are not really about your independence as a nation. They're actually about me and, and this new freedom that I'm bringing to you. And the food and the red, white, and blue and all the colors, the celebration, it's not any longer about uh, freedom that you as Americans enjoy from the British or, or whatever that was about. It's now about the freedom, the greater freedom that I bring to all people. 
you'd probably say, what? What? That, that doesn't make sense. And so in an even greater way, in an infinitely greater way, who has the authority to take this sacred meal ordained by God, celebrated for generations? I mean, to look back on the redemptive moment for the people of God throughout history. The redemptive moment in their time. And to say, that is actually about me. Connects it to his life and death. Redefines it almost in what he's doing and what he will do. Saying something even greater than that first Passover is here. Saying a new Passover is here. And even greater redemption has come because the people were rescued from slavery and bondage in Egypt in the first Passover, but now through faith in Jesus Christ were rescued from the Egypt of sin and death that binds us. God rescued the Jewish people out of Egypt in the first Passover, but now he rescues anyone who would trust in him from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Whoever would trust in Jesus. And so this is the gospel that we celebrate. A new Passover is here. Isaiah 53 puts it this way. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53 speaks to the human condition. We all have sinned. We all have gone astray, turned from God. But the Lord has placed on Jesus our sin. Jesus bore our sin on the cross. He died for us. In our place, his body, like bread, was broken. And his blood, like the cup, was poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And so like in the first Passover, when the blood of a lamb was put on the doorpost to protect it from death, so whoever would trust in Jesus Christ and his blood would be protected from death and judgment to come. Now, you may be here this morning thinking, eh, Maybe you're here and this is all a little underwhelming. You know, Jesus, lamb, Passover, blood. Like, what's, what's the big deal? Might not sound like a lot to you. Uh, there, there could be a number of reasons for that. But I wanted to address just, just two really, really briefly. Uh, it's possible that you're here this morning, or maybe someone you know is here, and, and you don't think you're in Egypt. Okay? Again, if we think about the events of the first Passover, the people of God, the Jews, were, were enslaved under Pharaoh in the land of Egypt. And so Jesus is trying to help us see that in the same way all people are enslaved, not in Egypt necessarily, but metaphorically, to, to sin in a very real way. We live in the Egypt of sin, and we all need freedom and rescue from that. And some of us are here today, and you're like, I disagree, Pastor Man idea, thanks, but I don't think I'm really enslaved to anything. 
And so you don't think that you're in Egypt. And so when you hear this talk of a deliverer, of a, a Passover, of someone to rescue you out of slavery in Egypt, you, you don't think you need it. You're not living in Egypt in slavery. But the Bible tells us that, that we all are enslaved to sin. If you take a look at your life, realize that you're not the person that you wish you were. You see these tendencies within your heart to do the things that you wish you wouldn't do. The failure to, to live out not just God's standards, but your own standards that, that you set. We even break our own standards. And so we see this perpetual state of destructive decisions and habits left to our own devices. We spiral downward into selfishness. And so Jesus alone can offer us freedom. Forgiveness of our sins, yes, but also new life. A new heart. Power within us to change. To forgive, to love selflessly, to be the type of people that God calls us to be. We cannot do this in our own strength, but Jesus gives us resurrection life. Now, maybe you're here today and, and the whole Egypt thing isn't a concern for you, but you simply don't think judgment is coming. To be honest, that's, maybe some of us feel that way, that God wouldn't do that, that there's not going to be really any serious consequences at the end of my life or my choices or anything like that. And so just think about looking back to the first Passover. What if the people of Israel heard the message about the plagues coming, the last plague and death coming to the firstborn in their household, and they said, nah, God wouldn't really do that blood on the doorpost. Do we really need that? That's kind of that's silly, right? We, we don't need to go there. God, you know, we've got nothing to worry about. What would have happened? Judgment still would have, would have come to that household. Death would have come to that household. And so in the same way, sometimes today, again, we think that consequences of sin are not real or that God is just going to kind of wink at sin and kind of pushes it under the rug and we're going to stand before him one day and he'll be like, hey, you're, we're cool, you're good. Don't worry about it. But the Bible tells us of a God that, yes, is loving and gracious and merciful, but also a God of justice. A God who holds people accountable for their sins. A God that will one day rid the world of evil. The problem is, if we are sinful, and a part of the problem in the world, then how's, if God gets rid of evil in the world, then that entails he would get rid of us, unless we're forgiven, transformed by the work of Jesus Christ. So judgment will come. We all will stand before God one day and give an account of our lives. And for the Christian, our hope is not that our good works will give us favor before God, but that the mercy and grace of God will be upon us because Jesus took the consequences of sin already for us if our faith is in him. So if you're here this morning and you don't think you're in Egypt or you don't think judgment's coming, I would just encourage you to, to look to the scriptures and see, see what they say. Don't take my word for it. Look to the, the book and see. So there in the upper room that night, Jesus tells his disciples and us the meaning of his coming death. And he not only points to his death, but he also points forward to establishing the kingdom once for all. In verse 25, he ends, Truly I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit 
of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. So for us, the Last Supper is not just about the death of Jesus on the cross, but that his kingdom will come in full one day. And there we will eat and drink and feast with the king. And so, friends, now we have a chance to celebrate communion together. Or we'll come forward and we'll take the bread and we'll take the cup and we'll remember Jesus and this new Passover that he has brought. Jesus, the ultimate Passover lamb, and we'll celebrate what he's done for us. And as we do this, we're not just remembering events of a few thousand years ago. We're actively entering into it. We're, we're participating in this story. We come to the table and we remember that this is our story as well. This is our family history as Christians. I remember a few years ago, I reached out to some aunts and my grandmas and wanted to know about my own family history and kind of my heritage and where my ancestors came from and when they came to the States and all this detailed information. And so they sent it over to me and I was just fascinated and encouraged to read and say, this is this is my story. This is where I came from. It's a bit of my history. It was great. And so in the same way, as Christians, we come to the table and we remember, this is our story. This reminds us who we belong to. Reminds us who we serve, who we follow. Jesus. Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus, our Savior and our King. And so we're going to come forward in just a minute and take the elements again, the bread and the cup, which point to Jesus' body and his blood broken and shed for us, our Passover lamb who died in our place to give us redemption and forgiveness of sins. Now, at FBC, we practice an open table, which means that even if, if you're visiting, you're not a member here officially, if, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we invite you to come forward and participate with us. And if that's not you this morning, just encourage you to you just remain seated where you are. I encourage you to reflect on the things that we've talked about this morning. Now, if you are here, though, and you want to trust in Christ, and you're not sure you've done so yet, some churches will ask you to pray a prayer and raise a hand. Uh, some churches will ask you to, to walk the aisle during the service, and we'll kind of pray with you up front. And that's not typically the route that we go. Usually, we'll just encourage you to respond where you are by uh, praying and, and receiving Christ. But, but this morning, uh, actually, communion provides us a, a good opportunity to respond. If you're here this morning and, and you haven't trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior before, then let today be the day that you give your life to Him. And so if you're here this morning and you see your need for a Savior, recognize your sin and you want to receive the free gift of salvation that Jesus has to offer and give your life to him and commit to following him, then I encourage you, likewise, when we come to take communion, to stand and join us. And I don't say that lightly. This is not a, a, a glib decision. This is serious. But if, if the Holy Spirit is at work in your heart and you say, I want to respond to this Jesus and come celebrate with the people of God, receive 
what Jesus has done for you. So I'm going to pray and then we can partake together. Well, God, we thank you for this day again. We thank you for your word. Jesus, we thank you for what you have done for us. This new Passover that you have brought. Freedom from sin. Freedom from death. Forgiveness of sins. A relationship with you. Adoption into your family. All of these things because of what you've done. We, as your people, say thank you. We look to you as our Savior and Lord and King. And so as we take these elements, we remember you. We pray, Jesus, that you'd be honored here today. In your name we pray. Amen.